Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is season two of Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. Hello. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Lovely. Is Susie there too? I'm here. Hiya. I'm actually sat at Kirsten's bench in, in the barn. I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. This week, we're talking to Steve and Susie Fletcher from The Repair Shop. I always think that I'm closer in character to Grandpa. Oh, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) He was quite nuts. He was completely barking. (laughs) But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. You know, there was that safety there that he could could express himself to me and I wasn't going to judge him because he was my big brother. I will sort of fight to the death for any of my siblings, you know, whatever. I think we're all the same. You know, we all really, really love each other. Just outside the barn, we do have a fairly busy road. As soon as we're going action, then the road gets busy. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Steve and Susie grew up in rural Oxfordshire with their two other siblings. Susie is the baby of the lot. Life was free reign and the children were left to entertain themselves a lot. A hard-working horologist dad inspired Steve in his career mending and fixing clocks and watches. We talk about that, about horses and being a tomboy, about chronic shyness and the stigma which used to surround postnatal depression in the past. But Steve started by describing the role that creativity played in their family? Um, I think we just naturally gravitated towards creativity. We weren't really encouraged to do it. We we were, in a way, left alone just to our own devices. Both mum and dad were very practical and arty and had a good set of shoulders on them. So they encouraged us always to try. And I remember dad treating me and my sister the same as he treated the boys Mm. in making sure we knew how to service our cars and that we weren't afraid to have a go at what were then considered men's jobs. Um, he wanted us to be really well-educated, rounded women, and um, both of us turned out to be so. So he did a good job. Mm. So he made you brave in lots of ways. He did, actually. He he did. And certainly with me, um, we didn't know that my my difficulty with education was based on the fact that I'm dyslexic, which many of us are. And he didn't give up on me. Um, he knew that I was just very, very artistic and very athletic and, and just let me be with the horses and, and I'm a happy person. 
when he realized that I, I wanted to go into this career of becoming a saddler, which back in the 70s, women didn't do. And, and he enabled me to meet the right people. And I remember actually, he and Steve took me up to London for my interview when I was going to go to college in Hackney. You know, to have my dad and my brother there was very helpful. Big scary leaving home at 16 and going to Hackney when I grown up in the countryside but but yeah the support was really there even though we didn't necessarily have the money to back it up that the the physical support was there we lived in a, a ramshackle old house that had an old carpentry workshop out the back mm. with lots of wood screws nails all sorts of materials uh, and that was our playground and that was our sort of childhood all the freedom time that I had mm. I just went up into the workshops and mm. and made things and invented things and god and didn't did, you <laughs> I, w- I want to know I want to know some of the things that you made I'm married to a, a man who was a, a workshop dwelling boy who used to take a marmalade sandwich and make all kinds of things what sorts of things did you make Steve I used to make a lot of aeroplanes flying aeroplanes I'd have a whole workshop full of them sometime I used to make boats and different mechanical things i was always trying to invent perpetual motion um, <laughs> and, and, and you know although dad was always like well you know that was a good try but you're never going to do it because no one's ever done it and it's impossible <laughs> um, she she was always a bit of a nuisance when i was a child you know just always in the way always inquisitive about things but as, as she got older, then we became closer and closer. But I was always looking out for her as well, because uh, that's what older brothers do. Not all older brothers. Some are quite horrible to their little brothers and sisters. Well, I, 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 I would hope that most would be. <laughs> <laughs> I read somewhere that she used to fashion saddles for her Cindy horses and her rocking horse. Yeah, I remember her doing that. They they weren't that great <laughs> in those days. Some of them weren't that great. Uh, but she she tried her best. And, and I think I helped out once or twice. He used to make me have cycle up the other end of town to get the balsa wood as well. Did he? <laughs> yes. Were you yes. were you his kind of workshop mate sometimes, holding screwdrivers and things? I was his lackey. That's, that's the way we say it. <laughs> No, I mean, I did used to watch what he was doing and, and he had a Meccano set and I used to like playing with that. I actually have, have a love of construction and, and tools and things and I and I just think that I'm such a tomboy at heart and maybe it was because of the influence with Steve and then I'd say i got another brother as well. So I just like to do what the boys did rather than what girls did. Or what girls are supposed to do. <laughs> well, back in them days, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mum and dad they they did struggle they had four children to bring up and it was difficult for them I am the youngest of four so I did get some of the privileges that that maybe my sister didn't have being the eldest but mum and dad brought us up with a lot of freedom but also with with a lot of values towards working hard if you want something then you do have to work hard for it they gave us the tools to do that with you know, they didn't ask us where we were going when we were going out. We just all went off as long as we were back for meal times. Mm. That that's all they were worried about. And they didn't ask us what we'd been doing sometimes because they were so busy getting on with things that, in a way, they just trusted that we would be not getting into too much trouble. 
I mean, Little did they know. <laughs> I mean, you used to you used to go off a couple of miles away to to feed the horse all the yeah. time, just oh, off yeah. on your bike in all weathers. Oh yeah, twice a day I had to cycle uh, to go and deal with my horse. And and uh, and not a lot of parents would do that. Would no, they? and also I used to be um, on a Saturday. I used to go down very early, get on the horse, and I ride him all around the countryside all day long. Didn't ever tell them where I might pop in the house for a cup of tea. Yeah, but you're right. No, I never even thought about that. They never asked where I'd been on that horse. No, you used to ride it home, tie it up, and then go back off. Yeah, I did. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Yeah, and I remember Grandpa coming out because it was Grandpa that actually bought me the horse. Yeah, I know. so. Yeah. No, we did. We had an awful lot of freedom. But I think I think because you have to trust people in order to bring out their own personalities, don't you? You can't mm. control people. You just teach them what's right from wrong. And what about your dad? He had his workshop at home, didn't he, by the time you guys came along? Oh, yeah. He, he had this small workshop it was about 10 foot by 10 foot and he's just work all all hours yeah um and uh he he was shattered at the end of the day and um, i re- i remember him actually taking us on holiday dropping us off with mum yeah. and everybody and then he drove home so that he could carry on working whilst we were on holiday because oh. he didn't have the money, have the money. Yeah. so so he he forwent his his holiday with us so that we could have a holiday but yeah, he he was in that workshop working all hours. He'd come and make tea for us, yeah. then he'd go back in the workshop and work till nine o'clock at night. And it, yeah, it was. But it, I always think it was like solitary confinement, you know, self-imposed mm. solitary yeah. confinement. Yeah. Um, and you know, not very sociable either, was it? No. You know, no. Because he'd be there from from morning to to night uh, and come in, and he he'd have a meal, and then we'd sit in front of well, he'd sit in front of the TV, but he'd have his eyes closed. Mm because his eyes were so tired from working mm. it was really really hard working guy mm. he really was but it, you know he took his duties very seriously didn't he yeah and but i i always think that i'm i'm closer in, in character to grandpa oh definitely because <laughs> he was quite nuts he was completely walking <laughs> so he 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 uh worked really hard he had his own uh, businesses in Whitney mm. set up a few other businesses, but he'd repair anything. He from obviously clocks and watches, uh, but he'd he'd repair radiograms, um, uh, church organs, all sorts of organs. Mm. And he's a bit of a Heath Robinson as well, whereas I think Steve isn't quite so Heath Robinson. I'm not Heath Robinson at all. No, I'm, but I'm, Grandpa I'm, was. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. a bit more um, of a perfectionist. Yes. I think so. Yes. Uh, but but the Grandpa, so he learnt a lot of his uh, skills when he was out um, in the First World War where they had to be inventive. They, mm. had, to, they had to create and repair things mm. uh, with what they'd got. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, he was always doing different projects, uh, had, had about 10 different projects on the go at any one time, um, trying to invent things, trying to make things. So, I, And I feel that I'm very, very similar to him. Mm, definitely and you definitely. say that he bought Susie her horse what was your horse called by the way Jess <laughs> so he bought Jess and then he was they looked after you for a, a little while at some point in your childhood it yeah. sounds like they were really present they were actually I mean I I think um my grandmother is who I got the love of the horse from grandpa buying me Jess was because I had 
I had looked after this pony and the people were selling him and my heart was broken. And so grandpa couldn't bear to see me so heartbroken. So he stepped in and, and basically gazumped the other people that were buying the pony. But the deal was if I got this pony, I had to get a job and whatever I earned went towards the upkeep. And that's what I did. Um, so it was a great lesson in becoming, you know, really responsible for the things that you want in life. You know, that's how we were brought up. Mm. Was it an ov- sort of overwhelmingly happy childhood? It sounds quite idyllic. Uh, yeah, we did. We did have our problems like most families do. But, uh, you know, we, we yeah got through them mm. and uh, it didn't really have a huge impact on us. Um, what sort of problems without prying too much? Um, well, uh, uh, our mum, uh, she suffered uh, dreadfully from uh, postnatal depression. Oh. Um, and that caused a nervous breakdown with my father. And so we went through a bit of a, a rocky period at that time. And we spent a lot of time with our grandparents mm. um, and people coming babysitting. But, uh, yeah, that, it was, it was a, uh, I suppose, about a year. I can't really remember I do remember going to grandma and grandpa's. Um, it's it's only become apparent later on in life what the difficulties were. And actually, I, for mum, I feel incredibly sorry because, of course, back then they didn't really appreciate how devastating it was and the treatment that they offered her was barbaric and... Um, I just look back at the whole thing and just and just feel even more appreciative of what they were able to do for us, um, considering what was going on behind the scenes, because, of course, families didn't share. It was a hard time, wasn't it, to struggle with any of those issues like fertility or pregnancy or, or childbirth? Yeah. Looking back at it, mum didn't have a support group. She had nothing. And I just feel quite desperate for, for women of that era. Things were vastly different to how they are today. Thankfully, we've learned and we've moved forward and there there is a lot more opportunities and people are very much more understanding. Mm. Here we are coming out of a pandemic where there's been a lot of talk about the struggles mentally people have had. Mm. And and it's no longer a taboo subject, but back then it very much was. I, I can remember my older sister sort of uh, calming us down when, when things were getting a bit fractious. But, um, uh, yeah, uh, like I say, most families have some issues at some stage in, in their lives. So, oh, they absolutely uh, and we were do. just one of those. <laughs> yeah. Trust yeah. me, as the host of this podcast, they absolutely do. I wonder right. whether that sort of sense of protectiveness comes from things happening that are slightly out of your control and that you want to sort of shield each other from or give each other comfort in? Because it's not until later as adults often that we understand what postnatal depression is or can do to a person or a family. At the time, you're just trying to get on with it, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, I was very young at the time, so I didn't understand what was going on. And our parents were not the sort of people to have big rows and or anything like that and they got on very well Mm. um so i mean it's not until later on in life that that uh you realize how close you actually are and we're we're a very tight 
family all all my siblings were all very close and probably because we all lived you know the same childhood we have a lot of appreciation for the good and the not so good things in in everyone's childhood i mean nobody has a perfect childhood but we are very supportive of each other today and and i'm really grateful for that because there are many of my friends who who don't have a close relationship with their siblings and that's family is really important if you get the opportunity to remain friends your entire life then something went right oh yeah and that's such a gift Mm. Mm, definitely yeah and and then what about this is a question I often ask you when did you become proper friends so you've got this kind of Cindy horse saddle making little sister who's variously a bit annoying or fine but actually at some stage in teenage life often you sort of turn around and look at your siblings and think oh you are genuinely a a cool person and I really like hanging out with you (laughs) when did that happen for you and Susie uh, for, for me and Susie, I guess it was when she was around about 12, 13, and because I'm uh, sort of five, six years older than her, mm. you know, I was starting to become really quite protective, you know, because she was sort of going out a bit more. And so I was just, just looking out for her. And, and you start thinking that, you know, they're, they're a, a real human being. <laughs> they're not just your, <laughs> your sister or brother. And, you know, certain things happen as well. I, I, I'm just thinking about when my brother went off to the Falklands War. Oh, and, wow. you know, you, you realise then, you think, oh, my goodness, no, that's my little brother. Uh, yeah, and, and you think, you know, you know, you really do love them. Yeah. So when Susie moved off to the States, that must have been hard for you because by that point you were definitely mates. Yeah, it was. Um, and then quite worrying for me because uh, she went over there, fell in love very quickly uh, with somebody and got married very quickly to them. Um, and uh, yeah, that to me, because it was, uh, she was going to sort of quite an alien place to me. I've never been to America. It was, it was really, really tough on my dad. But bless him, he never, he never expressed that. Mm. Um, it was just after he passed away, mum shared that with me. And, but that was dad. He, he just wanted to support me in my endeavours. But then, you know, the things like Skype came along and we could talk to each other face to face. We talked to each other regularly, most weeks. Mm. Um, so I could sort of keep an eye on her and help her through any problems that she might have. Because uh, where she was, was it's, it wasn't the safest place in America. So I initially went to the States, to Illinois. I was hired to become the master saddler of a news shop that had opened in Illinois. But through a series of events, I ended up in Colorado, of all places. And that is where I met my husband. And instead of staying for two years, I stayed for 22 years. Uh, making and repairing English style of saddles in a country that really does love the English style of riding. So um, I was kept very busy. And is it true you married him in your lunch break? It is. (laughs) (laughs) It is. And and also, uh, I didn't know I was getting married that day. What? Either. So he had said, well, you know, do you ever think about getting married? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And he said, well, why don't we, 
why don't we go and see what it would take because you're a foreigner and so we we went to the registry office in Boulder, Colorado, and they said, well, you can do this, that, and the other, or you can get married now. And then you went, yep, get married now. And that was it. What were you wearing then? Um, sports bra, very short shorts, because it's very hot, <laughs> and uh, sneakers. I bet you looked absolutely amazing. Well, I was 34. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. I'm going to dine out on it for a long, long time. <laughs> My husband had come straight from work, so he, he had you know mud, dried mud up to his knees and uh, a cut-off T-shirt and a baseball cap on the wrong way around. I mean, he's your typical redneck. I mean, what a delightful pair we were. <laughs> Did it feel strange that your little sister was going somewhere where you hadn't been, hadn't checked out, doing something seemingly spontaneous, and you were at arm's length? <laughs> No, not really. I mean, she is her own person, very much so. And, you know, she was going to do something like that. She does things on the spur of the moment. You know, it's a very horse-orientated country. And uh, it was, um, yeah, it was not a worry to me, but I was just looking out for her. Mm. And and what about when her partner, very sadly, her husband died? It wasn't very long ago, really, in terms of grief, because grief is a its own time scale how was that yeah. as her brother being far away oh uh, that was really really difficult because i knew the pain she was going through it was obviously dominating her whole life and it was upsetting that you know we couldn't just you know go down the road and be a bit more supportive yeah i mean it was one of those bolts out of the blue that you never you never mm-hmm. expect's going to happen to you and weirdly, my husband and I had had those conversations of what what would you do um, if you ever fell desperately ill? My family were great, but I also was, I was very aware that they didn't need to be overly worried. And I did have a really good support group in my friends in the States as well. I suppose I tried to protect them from too much information, particularly because my mother was still alive and she would worry desperately if she felt like I wasn't going to be able to cope. And to be perfectly honest, once we got that diagnosis, I knew that my focus was was to provide my husband with everything that he wanted, no matter how impossible it seemed. <laughs> If, if, he, if he wanted to fly to the moon, I'd try and make that happen. Mm. But I hope that, you know, I did call her all the time and sort of try and keep up, you know, with uh, giving her support. You know, went to the, the funeral and uh, stayed there for a couple of weeks to, to try and help her through. A word from my brother was always very much appreciated because I could tell him, and I still can, I can tell him my darkest secrets and know that, it's it's in you know complete confidence that he he will keep that to himself and uh but he will also give me really sound advice if i need it my time in america was very useful for me to develop my skills and and i i was given opportunities over there that i wouldn't necessarily have had if i'd stayed in the uk so I'm very grateful that I was able to take those opportunities. Mm. But the sacrifice was I wasn't there to be with mum and dad as they got older. And then obviously with 
with my siblings, children, they were growing up. I missed a lot of that. But those are the choices you make, you know. I don't regret a moment of it. And all of those things, that's what makes you who you are now. Mm, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So all those different experiences. Mm. I feel I really did broaden my horizons yeah. and now I'm able to pass on a lot of those moments, um, particularly in my skills as a saddle maker, and just feel that I've got a lot more to give to people, much like yourself, being in the fire service. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that, see, I think that that was sort of quite pivotal. Without that, I certainly wouldn't have been who I am now. No. Without being in the fire service? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, before being in the fire service, I was really, really quite shy. I suffered from terrible shyness through school. I, I don't know whether it was the fire service or whether it was just an age thing, but I certainly sort of couldn't have been on the repair shop mm. in front of half a dozen cameras. I just wouldn't have done it back then. <laughs> what was it like to be shy? How did it kind of impact your life when you were younger? So I would avoid situations uh, where I had to talk in front of people. If I was put in that situation, I, I would just have almost a panic attack where I'd sort of go red and, and then I would tear up. Yeah, it was it was not a good time. Like I say, at school, it was awful. I just had to duck and dive and, and make sure I didn't get into that situation. And did you know, Susie, that he found school difficult like that? No, because um, Steve has just a natural ability to to education as a whole. I mean, he seemed to breeze the whole school system. Where, <laughs> where you're, well, you got exam results. I really struggled. So I, I thought that everybody else in my family was really, really smart. And, and maybe that was just because I was, you know, young and, and they weren't about to tell me how they were struggling. But, but, but again, listening to Steve say about how shy he was, maybe that's part and parcel why we were really good friends as siblings, because... I would listen to him and he would show me how to do things. And, you know, there was that safety there that he could he could express himself to me and I wasn't going to judge him because he was my big brother. So I too was very, very shy and struggled at school. But I think because I had the outlet of my love of horses that I, I felt that I had something really to focus on in my life. Mm -hmm. So... The whole school thing didn't really phase me, even though I wasn't very bright. Hmm. You were bright. I wasn't bright. <laughs> you were bright. It doesn't matter whether well, no. you can't do the schooling things. You were bright. Yeah, but but in them days, if you couldn't do maths and English, you were not. Oh, my, my um, report said not academic, but very friendly and athletic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you remember when, when Dad died and I cleared out his workshop? Yeah. And, you know, I always thought he was a very studious guy. Oh, yeah. He went to the grammar school. And, yeah. And, uh, and then I saw his school report, uh, <laughs> and, which said he couldn't have done less if he'd tried. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that filled me with absolute joy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't perfect after all. <laughs> well, also, you were growing up in like the, this was 70s school days, right? 60s and 70s. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the kind of psychology of, parenting or pastoral care at school was not really there let's be honest no. no not at all I mean ours was a very Victorian upbringing we knew our place and yet because of circumstances with mum and dad we were given 
the other side of the coin, which was all this freedom. And we grew up in a fabulous part of the country and we are all passionate about the countryside and being outside. And I think it's from that running around as kids and being out in the fields and whatnot. And that also gives you, without being too woo-woo about it, it gives you a sense that the world is bigger than the classroom and your report card. And certainly horses, you know, they're not therapy animals for nothing. You know. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, dad joked that um, my first word was horse and I fell in love as soon as I saw a horse. Because, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. No, because I literally, I, anything, it was all horses. It's all horses. And, and there is a huge connection I have with horses and I've been able to go on and make this amazing career. And now at the age that I am, I'm able to start giving back and and the horse is still really prominent with me. If I'm having a hard day, all I have to do is go and hug a horse Mm. and the world's a great place. So yeah, it's, it's very, very important to me. And I'm very grateful that I had that outlet. I think I would have been in quite a difficult position if I hadn't have had that focus. Well, thank God for your grandfather then. Absolutely. Yeah, he didn't know at the time, did he? No. What, what, what an impact that would have had no, on your life. No, not at all. Not, no, no, nobody could. And so tell me about coming home then, coming home to the sort of part of the country where you, I don't know, grew up and your grandparents were and yeah. your horse was. Yeah. What did that feel like? What a wonderful opportunity to, for me to come back to a very safe and warm place after. Yeah, America was really... America. It, it, it was not a place that I really threw myself into. Um, I realize I'm, I'm really an English country girl. I love being in this green, beautiful country that we have. And I'm back with my siblings as well. Uh, they never moved out. I was the only one that did. <laughs> and to keep a really close eye on her, you decided to get her a job where you worked <laughs> <laughs> well it wasn't keeping an eye on her no, I just joking. thought it, it was it was a lovely opportunity yeah. that, that that could be uh and I had a word with the the producer and uh my producer said oh well yeah we might find a a couple of bits we could get her to do and uh now looks <laughs> she's uh you know one of the, the the main people on the show and uh very popular as well and I'm very proud of her <laughs> He said he's not going to let me go away again. So that's that. (laughs) And what's it like doing that job with him? Because, you know, people who watch the programme, it's like a sort of cult underground hit and people delight in your relationship amongst a whole load of other things about the programme. But what's it like Mm. to be working with your brother like that? Oh, it's amazing. It is. It's really lovely. But the interesting thing is I don't feel like... I'm working with my brother because I feel like I'm working with a family. The, the repair shop is a family. You know, a lot of life happens in the background between all of us mm. and, and we all share and support each other. And I've been told by many people that that warmth and closeness comes across on, on the programme. Which oh, it does. It, yeah. I, see, I, know, I love hearing that because it is everybody from the top down and the down up and the people that come and go, everybody has played a crucial role. And I mean that most sincerely. It is, it is a team of people that I find are extraordinary and I appreciate every single one of them and getting to know them. And finally, do you have nicknames for each other before I let Steve go? I couldn't say I couldn't say it. No, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, but that is that is only within the family. It's very rude. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just make them up then. (laughs) Fill in the blanks. (laughs) 
Thank you to Steve and Susie and thank you too for listening. I asked him to describe you and I wondered if you could tell me how you think he would describe you, please. Active, fun-loving and very passionate about my love of horses and (laughs) outdoor life. Something along those lines. Yeah, and spontaneous. Yes, and sometimes that could get me into trouble. (laughs) That's on the odd occasion that he's had to come and bail me out. (laughs) Are there any of those you'd like to tell us about? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) I tried, I tried. Thank you too to Tanita Tickerham who let us use this amazing song. Sound design is by Nick Carter at Mixonics and digital production by Charlotte Griffiths. Next week, I'll be talking to the Reverend Giles Fraser, all about the brother, Jonathan, he never knew. To see some really sweet pictures of Steve and Susie, or if you're a Great British Bake Off fan and watching the current series, you can head to the podcast, relativelypodcast.com, where you'll find an episode with Bryony Mae Bakes. Or if you're a comedy fan, then check out Ahir Shah. His new show is at the Soho Theatre in London, and you can hear him and his sister Bibi on a previous episode. That's all at relativelypodcast.com. Tradition of love and heat Stand by the fireside Another rain may fall Your father's calling you You still feel safe inside Although your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all